All right, let us give our attention to the Word of God. Malachi chapter 2. And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you. And I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant was with him, was one of life and peace, and I gave it, gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But if you have turned aside from the way, you have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people. Inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for these eternal words. And even as I read them again this morning, O oh Lord... Um, would you sift me and would you sift this congregation, Lord, that we would hear your word accurately and truthfully, and Lord, we would be like the Bereans, that we would study it faithfully to make sure the words are correct and true, so that we uh, may grow in true knowledge of you. Uh, so Father, please strike from these hearers any words of mine that are not from you. And what are from you, Lord, I pray that they would bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. And I ask that in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I appreciate with your patience as I drink often from water up here. Your mouth just sort of grows tired after preaching once before this. So thank you for your patience. A number of years ago, I had the privilege to work alongside a liberal minister uh, in the chaplain corps. Uh, there's a thing called clinical pastoral education. Basically what that means is you work as a hospital chaplain. And to help uh, make myself more, uh, I guess, worthy and also more, uh, uh, I'm losing a word, I want uh, something they would like to grab, the Air Force, I needed to take this training of being a clinical pastoral person. And so I worked in the hospital. And in Louisville, Kentucky, there's another seminary in that town, and that seminary uh, doesn't produce the most godliest of ministers. Let's just say that. And I got the privilege to work alongside of four of these folks. And uh, while I was working there, um, I received an email from one of friends of mine while I was working at the hospital. And it shared with me of how this, this other denomination which if you want to know after the worship service, I'll tell you, but how this other denomination had now endorsed the words that it was okay when you performed a baptism to use these words that you would baptize in the name of the mother, child, and womb. And those could be used instead of being baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, this is one conversation I could not pass on. And so I decided to bring it to 
this friend of mine's attention. And I asked her, uh, how, how can this be? How is it okay to baptize someone in the names mother, child, womb? When Jesus says very clearly in the Lord's Prayer that uh, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And he uses the language of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Isn't that breaking the third commandment? Isn't that taking God's name in vain? She said, no. God does not have a certain gender. Which is quite interesting when you look at Jesus. Because Jesus is male. And I asked her about this. I, I agreed that God is, the Father is, is, is a spirit and doesn't have male genitalia. But throughout Scripture, He is referred to as Father. And even Jesus teaches us uh, in the Lord's Prayer that we are to address Him as Father. But she disagreed with me. And in fact, her acceptance of that terminology was not only uh, a disagreement between ministers, it was actually an attack upon the Word of God and upon God's name. Something that Malachi has been speaking to us about quite often. About ministers not honoring God's name. And so as we sort of end Malachi's charge to the priests at that time, in our passage, I want to point out three things that we see today and that should be in your notes in your bulletin. Our passage deals with these three things. God's cursing against the priest, God's covenant with the priest, and God's cause against the priests. And first, we're going to look at this first one. And if you're a minister, it sort of make, should make you shake a little bit. God's cursing against the priest. Um, he begins with saying, "And now, don't miss don't miss that." It's sort of this is the climax. We've sort of been talking about all these things, how they've been bringing defiled uh, sacrifices to them. Um, all these things where they haven't been honoring God's name. And then he says, and now. It's sort of like, this is it. Don't miss what I'm about ready to say to you. And so he says, if you will not listen, if you will not take heed to heart, to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you did not lay it to heart. Um, I've told you all some a little bit about my family growing up, and my dad's an old army guy. And there is times, I think every father does this, when a dad knows how to get attention. And my dad had ways of getting uh, Gary and I's attention. And he'd say, son, listen to me. Or boy, you better hear what I'm about ready to say. There's times when dad says words like boy or son that he is, he is about ready to tell you something. Uh, you better take notes and you better get it down straight because it's not meant to be repeated. It's meant to be heard and it's meant to be acted upon. And these are the seriousness which God is saying to these priests. Because not only is He correcting them and confronting them against their hypocrisy and also uh, how they're disdaining the very office they've been called to, but these words are oozing with love. I have a son, Jude, and Jude knows there's times when I say to him, Son or boy, 
you better cut that out. Now, I don't just say that to be mean. Liza, I have words for you too, sweetheart. (laughs) But I don't say that to be mean. I say that out of love. Because I know there's certain words that are meant to draw His attention. God uses certain words with all of us to draw our attention. It's part of being a father. And so, when He is saying these words to these priests, it's not out of... uh, 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 a desire just to punish or to slap down or to be harsh or cruel. These words are words of love. And it's because God cares for these ministers because they are His anointed people, the ones He has chosen and set apart to teach the people of God. And so He wants to get their attention. So please do not mistake that love pervades this text. So then he says these words, to, to, he says that you should place them on your heart. Now that phrase is only used a dozen times in the Old Testament. It means to determine a course of action in response of one's knowledge or awareness of something. We see this idea in the book of Daniel. When, when Daniel resolved in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine he drank. It's sort of the idea that you hear something and you think about something and you're not going to change your mind. There is a clear course of action. It has been set and that is the direction you're going to go. And he says, place your heart upon these words. And we should note that when the Jews spoke about a person's heart, they were not referring simply to emotion, but they were referring to mind and emotion, the command center of a person's life. And so these priests, the problem was, as we've already seen, is these priests were not laying it on their heart to fear God. They had a problem with fearing God. And they had replaced that fear of God with a different fear. And I would argue that it was the fear of man. Now we don't know all the reasons why, but we do know a couple of things that they were starting to fear man. And I would argue that they were giving in to peer pressure. And we see this here in verses 6 through 8. First of all, they were offering unacceptable sacrifices. So when people would bring in the unacceptable sacrifice, they were not willing to say, I'm sorry, that is not what God requires. You need to go back and you need to find a sacrifice that God requires. They were, off, they were accepting unacceptable sacrifices. A second thing they did is they despised their role in offering sacrifices. Uh, look up earlier in chapter 1. Notice how the Lord condemns their attitude towards ministry. He says, You profane my name when you say the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food may be despised. But you say, What a burden this is! And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. It seems that they wanted to find some significance somewhere else. And I don't know about you, but it's often been my observation that snooty people love the applause of other snooty people. They love it. And there's this snorting going on. It's disdainful. How could I offer this? This is a waste of time. That's what's going on. And proud... People who fear man love the validation of other people. Instead of loving God's validation, they love the validation of others. They love being accepted. 
We often hear about this in our own day and age when the Hollywood crowd loves each other's acceptance or the cultural elites love the applause of the academic elites and they scorn those who disagree with them. There is a level of charity among them. See, peer pressure, dear friends, is not solely the target of the teenager. Peer pressure affects all of us. We're all tempted to give in to this. And so this morning is maybe a question we need to ask ourselves is how do you know if you struggle with peer pressure or the fear of man? One of the best books that deals with this is a guy, guy, is done by a guy's name done by a guy named, sorry, excuse me, Ed Welch. Ed Welch is a professor, teaches up at Westminster Seminary, works with um, uh, uh, Christian Counseling and Education Foundation. He, he's written a number of the many books that are on the back table. And Ed wrote a book called When People Are Big and God Is Small. And I think that's the perfect description of someone who struggles with peer pressure. And here's how maybe he offers some questions to discern, do I struggle with peer pressure? And only answer these in your heart. Are you always second-guessing decisions because of what other people might think? Are you afraid of making mistakes that will make you look bad in other people's eyes? Is self-esteem a critical concern for you? This, at least in the USA, is the most popular way that the fear of other people expressed. If self-esteem is a recurring theme for you, chances are that your life revolves around what others think. Your reverence or fear of others' opinions. You need them to buttress your sense of well-being and identity. You need them to fill you up. Another question he asks is, do you ever lie, especially the little white lies? What about cover-ups when you are not technically lying with your mouth? Lying and other forms of living in the dark are usually ways to make ourselves look better before other people. They also serve to cover our shame before them. Do you avoid people? If so, even though you might not say that you need people, you are still controlled by them. Isn't a hermit dominated by the fear of man? And lastly, have you ever been too timid to share your faith in Christ because of what others might think of you as possibly an irrational fool or a misdranged lunatic? You see, dear friends, I think Dr. Welsh does us a favor by exposing struggles we all are tempted with, how others think of ourselves. And by seeing these in ourselves, I think we will do much more able to identify ourselves with the priest. It's very easy to look at someone and say, you know what, they're giving in to the pressures of man. But the reality is, we all face the pressures of man. And in different areas, whether it's in our work, whether it's how our home looks in comparison to everyone else, or the food we have on our table, or the car we drive, or whatever it might be, there's temptations that we all face to deal with peer pressure, to be pleasing in the eyes of other men. So how, does, how do we change from being man-fearers to God-fearers? Well, very simply, we grow in our fear of God. And God helps these priests out grow in their fear of God. He, he does this by saying, if you don't start following me, if you don't start fearing me, I'm going to level a curse against you. And if they do not heed his warnings, he will curse them. And in fact, he tells them, just so you don't miss it, and it, just if you don't think you can skirt out of it, I've already cursed you already. Ouch. 
The text gives us three ways that the Lord is already cursing them. And look with me in your, your word. You see, the priests were, were, were blessed to be the teachers of Israel. They were set apart. They had a special office to, to study His Word, to communicate the eternal truths of God's Word to His people. They were also in uh, uh, the priest's office. The people were in turn to provide for Him. It was sort of a reciprocal uh, a relationship. The priest was to offer the sacrifices, to intercede for them, to cover for their sins. They were also to speak the Word of God to the people to help them grow in instruction and knowledge. And the people in turn were to help the priests because as they spent their time doing these other things where they couldn't work and labor, the people would give a tithe, an offering, so that their monetary needs, their food, their home, their shelter was paid for. And so it was reciprocal. And in fact, the land, we're told, of the Levites was never to be sold. It was theirs forever. And what a great uh, a plan God had. But however, these priests, were told, were not honoring God, and they were not revering His judgment. And so here's how He begins to curse them. Look at, with me in verse 9. I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people, because you have not followed my ways, but have shown partiality in the matters of the law. It's interesting to note that the very thing the priests were idolizing, the applause of man, was in turn, was, was in turn by God bringing despisement and humiliation before the people. In other words, the very thing that they were so badly wanting, they were wanting to feel esteemed by the people. Because they were not honoring God's ways, they were actually getting the very opposite. And so it is with all of man's plans. If man's plans are not God's plans, they're eventually going to fail. And they're going to fall short. Solomon says in Proverbs 29.25, The fear of man will bring a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord will be kept safe. But God's cursing gets worse. Look at the next verse, verse 3. He says, Behold, I will rebuke your offering. Now this word behold is only used five times in the book of Malachi. And it's used at the end of a declaration to declare something that will come in the future. He's saying your kids are going to get rebuked by me. Now that's scary. I love my kids. I'm sure you love your children if God's given you children. But to think God's going to rebuke your kids because of your own actions... That makes you sit up a little straighter in your chair, as my dad used to say. It's, it's an awakening. And he's saying, behold, it's going to happen. And why? Well, I'm warning you, God is telling us, so that his covenant with Levi will continue. If they've not gotten the message now, God tells them one more thing he's going to do through this cursing. And here's probably the most awfulest. And he employs the senses, dear friends, to convey what's going on. He is going to spread dung on their faces, dung on your offerings, so that you will be taken away with it. Now, a literal word for dung there is the Hebrew word offal, and it means the entrails, the intestines of an animal. Now, maybe you don't need to visually go there, but it might help you to visually go there. It is nasty stuff. And to consider that might be pushed on their face, is humiliating. The smell, the stench will not leave them. 
And that is what God is trying to say. If you are going to grow in your fear of me, beloved priest, if you do not do this, this is what I'm going to do to you. You see, I believe God often has to use such vivid imagery because our hearts can grow so callous to the ways of God. And that is scary, dear friends. That's one of the reasons we go before the Lord's table here at Desert Springs, to have a constant reminder of inspecting our hearts so that we might be honoring to Him. It's easy. But the Lord reminds these priests, don't give in to this idol of fearing man. So He moves on, um, and He tells them, that God's covenant was with His priests. And He gives reference to a guy named Levi. Now we know Levi is one of the twelve sons of Jacob, twelve sons of Israel. But God's covenant with the priesthood came a little later through Aaron's son, Phinehas. Now when He's referring to Levi, I think that's the idea because Levi did not just jump right in and become the priest of the family. It more came through Aaron's line and then specifically through Aaron's son, Phinehas. And Phineas received the covenant. If you remember your Old Testament right, he received this covenant because he did something uh, spectacular in fearing the Lord. If you remember the story, Moses tells us of how God's anger burned against the Israelites because they were having relations with the Midianite women. And it was so bad that as Moses and Aaron are having this conversation and Phineas is standing there, that one of the sons of Israel, who is a leader of one of the sons of Israel, comes in with a Midianite woman and they go into the tent to engage in sexual relations. Phineas burns, it says, with God's uh, fear and with God's anger. And he goes in and he kills the man. In divine judgment, he ends the man's life. And because he did that, it stopped a plague that God had dispersed upon the children of Israel. It tells us that even 24,000 people had died. I can't imagine 24,000 people dying. Some of you have maybe seen warfare. Maybe you've seen that, that large number of deaths, but I can't imagine that. But because of Phineas's actions, he turned God's anger away from the Israelites. And Numbers 25 tells us how God blessed Phineas. God says of Phineas, For he was zealous as I am for my honor among them, so that in my zeal I did not put an end to them. Therefore tell him I am making my covenant of peace with him. He and his descendants will have a covenant of a lasting priesthood because he was zealous for the honor of his God and made atonement for the Israelites. You see, God blessed Phineas, who was a Levite, because he revered God and he stood in awe of God's name. And in verse 5, Malachi uses three different words to communicate the holiness of God in this passage. He tells us that the covenant of life and peace he gave him called Phineas to reverence with God. It was because of his relationship as Phineas saw who God was, it moved him into action. David says in Psalm 130, that there is a forgiveness with you, Lord, that you may be feared. Just because God forgives us does not give us a license to go against His will. In fact, it should do just the opposite. It should grow us in holiness and fear of who He is because we gain something we do not deserve. 
Second, Phineas feared God so much that we are told he stood in awe of his name. And that word stood in awe is used on how Saul and the Israelites felt when they ran from Goliath. It's like when they saw Goliath, there was that fear. You remember? They stood in awe of him. And they trembled. They shook in their boots. And literally, it means to be broken, shattered in amazement and fear. And what we see in this passage is God's desire for His priests to have that same fear to sort of shake in awe of who God is as they stand before God, between God and the people. But the priest had given in to this. I can't remember where it is, but there's a passage by one of the prophets that says of how the man of God, the priest of God, is one who shakes and reveres at God's Word. That's been a great reminder for me throughout the years God's given me to ministry. Is how, do I, as I read God's Word, does it still drive me to my knees? Does it still make me think, who am I to stand before this people? That is the minister. That is the priest God is looking for. In Desert Springs, I would say to you that as you look for your future pastor, that would be a quality characteristic I would put at the top of the list. Does he continue to fear and shake before God in the sense that he wants to honor God and he trembles with his own sin? That is a clear mark of a godly man. Well, that motivation is not only in moral obedience, but in the role God has assigned us as people. And what what I'm talking about there is the role God has assigned to these priests. He goes on to tell these priests to sort of give them a review lesson of, hey, case you're not doing the right thing, let's remind you what you should be doing. And that first thing is, is to teach the people. Look what it says there. True instruction was to be found on their lips with no falsehood, no depravity, no wickedness, no dishonesty. No lying. Their words were supposed to be the words that people could bank on, that people could trust in. That is what a minister is supposed to do. In the New Testament, Paul tells Timothy that a workman, that, that, that the preacher must be a workman who handles correctly the word of truth. And he says to Titus that he was to grow in accordance with sound doctrine. You see, for those of us who stand before you as a minister, our job is to faithfully preach God's Word. It is our job to wrestle in the the, uh, uh, desk, in the room, in the office before God to make sure we got it right so that we're not spreading error. And unfortunately, like the woman I knew who called herself a minister, she was not doing that. To, to say you can baptize a mother-child womb totally missed the point and totally blaspheme God's name in front of people. And if she's teaching that, I can convince you folks people were following that. Because what goes in the pulpit eventually trickles down stage. And it is no secret that one of great, uh, Satan's great attacks is to attack the seminary. He will do all that He can to turn seminaries, and we've seen it in the history of our nation, great institutions that used to produce wonderful, godly men have now turned into bastions of evil and divisive lies and falsehoods that pervade down and have trickled down into God's church, teaching God's people and leading them into all kinds of falsehoods. And as a chaplain, I get to see this front and center all the time. 
is I deal with some of my fellow chaplains. I had a dear, dear brother of mine, good brother in Christ, and he was preaching on Ephesians chapter 1. And he said this, God chooses us, God elects us after we choose Him. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've ever read Ephesians chapter 1, there is nothing, absolutely nothing in us about us choosing Him. Absolutely nothing. It is all about Him saying, man, I'm going to choose you. Like we talked about a couple weeks ago with Eliza's doll, picking out Ruffy of all dogs, of all her stuffed animals. She chose to set her affection on Ruffy and no one else. And I pulled my dear friend and my brother in my office and I said, hey, you got to show me where this is at because I sure don't see it. And he would not compromise his belief in man's independence on that man chooses God. You know, dear friends, your encouragement as you all grow in the knowledge of God, you can speak truth. Because unfortunately, I believe my friend was a product of his seminary. I think if he would have had better teaching, because he's one who loves Jesus, he's one who cares deeply about people, would bend over backwards for anyone. But he is completely mistaken when it comes to knowing that it's God's work that redeems us and not ourselves. It is not man's. So as we look at this text and we draw to a conclusion, the one thing we should learn from this passage, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, is the fear of the Lord. The person who is the priest, the person who is the minister, as the Puritans used to say, is the person who is supposed to exemplify godliness. Not perfectly. They fall short. I fall short. And you know what? Any minister who comes before you is in some way going to disappoint you because they're not perfect people. I, I sure know I'm not. But however, their job, as the Puritans used to say, is to lead the congregation in worship of what it means to fear and honor the Lord, as they would teach the people. And why is it that we are to, to fear Him? Well, we are, to, we are to do that because as the minister does that, as the priest does it, it draws the other people with them. And as they see the minister and the priest honoring God, it helps the people to honor God. Because if I start sinning in front of you, chances are some of you all are going to excuse some things. I hope not. But that's the reality. And that's the high calling of office. It is a high calling indeed. So, as we look at this text and we conclude, I would encourage you, dear friends, to pray for the next minister of God that God would have for you here at Desert Springs. That first of all, he would be a minister that fears the Lord. Second of all, that he would be a minister that reveres the Word of God. And third of all, that he leads you all as God leads him to offer sacrifices and offerings to God's glory. And I am confident that as God brings that person to you, and as you continue to pray and seek that, as you look through all these names before you and might feel overwhelmed, God has that person. And that will purify you, and it will purify him. And then look what God's going to do. Because we know that when God brings that person in, when God's people are aligned on that same purpose, the blessings of God overflow. And there is no wall, there is no army of Satan that can stand against it. Remember, He is on the defensive. We are on the offensive. 
The gates of hell cannot stand against the church. So that is our hope. That is my prayer for you all. And thank you for this opportunity to serve you these past four weeks. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for these dear brothers and sisters in Christ and uh, how humbling it is. Lord, may you encourage this congregation as a... It was over many years ago that I first started preaching through Malachi and you've allowed me to have this sermon series and I did it at the church I was a pastor and you used it to prepare them for their future minister. And what a great job David has done there. And Lord, as you've used this to remind me of the high calling you have on me, Lord, at the same time you've used this passage again to remind your church who to pray for, the type of leader they're they're, they're calling, and who to look for. Lord, I pray that you would give them good eyes to see. Father, that, they, that as they pray for the future leader to come in here, the future elder, Father, I trust that you would also be preparing them. And Lord, we just look forward to what you're going to do because you are amazingly faithful. And Lord, I, as you do that, may they, may I, and may this future pastor be comforted of your great love, of your benevolent care, that you are greatly at work And you have not missed a single detail. And so, Lord, help us to rest in that. This Lord's day and the days to come. And we ask that in Christ's name. Amen.